and cried to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold, casts for it silver chains, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits upon above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to those who have no might, he increaseth strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Brother Elvin, would you come, please? And let's bow for heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are that kind of God. Thank you that you've given us your word to read. You've given us your Holy Spirit to help us understand. And then also to renew our hearts so we have the courage to proclaim your truth, not our own. And we ask for Brother Elvin today that you would equip him for that task. Open our hearts to receive it, to worship you, and to respond in love and obedience. And Lord, in our humanity, save us today from assessing people, either Brother Elvin as an overseer or ourselves, or save Brother Elvin from a consciousness about us more than a consciousness of you. And may your Holy Spirit equip us, inspire us, and renew us for the honor and glory of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you today, to be able to greet you in the name of the one whose birth we're about to celebrate. I do come to you from Pennsylvania. I might as well own that. Uh, Steve introduced me to the Children's Assembly as a Yankee, so I will confess that. <laughs> I will also confess to no ill feelings either toward those of the South. Um, but maybe like Peter, my speech will betray me if I don't own up to it. I'm not sure. Um, I was at a Fraternal Anabaptist Network meeting about a month ago, and my good friend Raleigh Rhodes from just up, up the hill piece here was there. And uh, he said, oh, you're coming down our way. He said, I'll give you a crash course in speaking Southern. <laughs> so uh, I declined because I had seen an email sometime earlier and I thought I had that down pat. Someone, someone uh, sent me an email that said, uh, y'all is singular, all y'all is plural, and all y'alls is plural possessive. <laughs> and uh, if any of the good old boys from down south holler, hey, y'all, watch this. Find a safe place and get out of the way. <laughs> but enough of that. Uh, a wife, Melanie, is with me today. We do have two children. We have three grandchildren. And uh, we have been serving the church in ministry for 34 years now, I guess. Uh, longer than that, but 34 years in official capacity. So it is good to be with you today, not because I come down wanting particularly to come down and speak to you, but because I enjoy meeting God's people and gathering with them uh, wherever they are. We do live in difficult times. There's no question about that. And one of the things that seems more certain than ever is that uh, the one who speaks a word for the Lord in public today does so in a hostile environment, in an increasingly hostile environment. And those who hate the message of the Lord are quick to rally support against those who would speak God's word. 
I'm amazed at the way uh, certain people, and I'm thinking particularly now, and I don't, uh, I don't mean to be harsh or judgmental, but the LGBT crowd have taken the English language and redefined it to suit their purposes. They have taken the word object or oppose and redefined them to mean hate. And, uh, and so if you speak a word against their lifestyle, suddenly you become hateful. You're guilty of hate. In fact, there was a pastor in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, just a couple weeks ago that officiated in a uh, service of marriage for his gay son. He was called uh, before the church and was sanctioned for that. And his comment was that he didn't want to be part of preaching a gospel of hate. Well, I'm not sure how you can define that. The gospel who is, that is meant to redeem and to save and to bring us out of those kind of lifestyles can be considered a gospel of hate. But, but that's what's happened. The language is being redefined and those who oppose people with certain kinds of sin are labeled as hateful people. Uh, any who oppose or object to their lifestyle choices are immediately condemned. And uh, you know, it's not just homosexuality. Uh, all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of sin. We see, uh, what troubles me, I think today, we see so much across the churches, young people just simply living together. Uh, sexual immorality. And uh, the sad thing is that the resistance we get doesn't always come from society. It sometimes comes from right within the church and sometimes even from within our own families. That, that's a troubling thing. But trouble does come if we're going to speak God's word. Well, this is not new. And uh, in our text today, we want to look at a uh, prophet. I've called him the 401st prophet. Others have called him that before me. Uh, but a prophet who faced trial because he was willing to speak on God's behalf. So if you would, uh, turn with me um, to Second Chronicles 18 and I... I copied it out of the uh, ESV so I could read it in your language this morning. I'm not sure I got all my uh, notes here in the ESV, but uh, we'll manage, I think. But Second Chronicles chapter 18, I'd like to read uh, the first 27 verses. Second Chronicles 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and, oxygen, and oxen for him and for the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? He answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in war. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah, 
Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones arrayed in their robes. And they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And he answered, Go up and triumph. They will be given into your hand. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did not I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Shanana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. Several things I want us to notice here in this passage. First of all, just the incident itself. Uh, at this time today, the time of our account, a kingdom is divided, of course. Uh, Israel is ruled by King Ahab, who we know to be a very wicked king, perhaps one of the worst kings that, that Israel's ever had. Uh, Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, and Jehoshaphat was considered a godly king, and it was with good reason. When Jehoshaphat was, uh, came to be king, he took some of the religious leaders and some of the princes, uh, ruling princes, and he went out, sent them out to the villages with God's word to teach the people God's word. And so he gave them a good foundation uh, to work from as a nation. And so he was a godly king in having turned his people's hearts to God. But after some years, and he had become prosperous by this time, uh, he had fortified his cities and was doing well. After some years, he allied himself with King Ahab through marriage. And on a visit down to Ahab, Ahab now asks him, will you go with me to war? Ramoth Gilead had been lost uh, about three years prior. 
to the Syrians, and he now wants to, to go out to battle and to take back the city that he had lost. And Jehoshaphat answers here, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in war. But what I find interesting is that he goes on and says, let's inquire of the Lord. I'd like to hear a word from the Lord. And uh, I'm not sure how this felt to Ahab, probably not too good. But Ahab said, okay, and, and he calls his prophets, and there are 400 of them. And uh, they come and they deliver a unanimous prophecy. Go up. The Lord is going to prosper you. You'll, you'll succeed. Now, we just read here what had happened. A lying spirit had gone out and, and was in these prophets, and, and they're not telling the truth. They're actually lying. But 400 of them all standing there saying the same thing. Go up. Go up. And uh, it's amazing that the wicked can surround themselves with such agreeable prophets and such amiable support. You know, I thought back about this, thought back over the years that I've been in ministry. And uh, if we got away from the very central core issues of the gospel, don't think I've ever been with 400 preachers even that all agreed to the man on a given subject. Uh, it's like I say, apart from core issues. Uh, but here are 400 men who are all saying the same thing. And wouldn't it be wonderful in the church if the time came when we could listen to 400 lying prophets and wouldn't believe them? We, we could see there was something wrong here. And that's apparently what happened with Jehoshaphat. wasn't enough for Jehoshaphat. He wasn't satisfied with the message. Apparently there were some red flags went up. And let me just say this. Pay attention to the red flags in life. Pay attention to the red flags. They're usually there for a purpose, and, and they do signify danger. So pay attention to the red flags. But apparently some red flags went up for Jehoshaphat. And he said, isn't there a prophet of the Lord that we can consult? Anybody. I want to hear from, hear from the Lord. And uh, I think Ahab was probably pretty honest in his response. He says, there's one more man, but I hate him. Because he says things that I don't want to hear. How many of us, if we were honest, would say we feel a little bit the same way? We like the people we come to, our friends, associates, whatever, to say what we want to hear. <laughs> we like that. We don't want to hear things that are troubling to us. But Ahab said, no, this man just doesn't ever prophesy anything good about me or concerning me. So he dispatches an officer quickly to get Micaiah. And I find this interesting, too. As the officer comes to Micaiah, he says, look, let me give you a heads up here. 400 prophets have all given the king the green light. They've told him everything's good. Uh, so it would be good if you would do the same thing. So Micaiah, I love Micaiah's response here. I think, I think it's one that all of us need to grasp for ourselves. As the Lord lives... Whatever my God says, that I will speak. That ought to be core to our values, our beliefs. Whatever God says, that I'm going to speak. doesn't matter. God says it, I'll say it. So Micaiah comes to the king and he said, uh, go up. <laughs> be successful. Win the battle. Should have been good enough for Ahab, right? He now has 401. 
All of them said the same thing. Well, what happens? Micaiah told him what he wanted to hear, didn't he? But he said, how many times do I have to tell you, <laughs> make you swear to tell me the truth? Nothing but what God says. So, I don't know what happened. Either he knew that 400 prophets were not telling the truth, and Micaiah was, or he just simply didn't have any fear for God. I know you're not telling me what God said, but tell me, but I don't care anyway, you know. So, anyway, uh, he had some hesitation. I think there's something wonderful uh, in our lives, if we can spot that. You know, now we're not, we're not Ahab, uh, hopefully we're not evil, uh, but we ought, to, we ought to be in the Word, we ought to be in communion with God so that when we hear something that isn't true, we can see through it, we can spot it. It just doesn't feel right to us, it just doesn't make sense. And so we question it, um, which is what King did. He said, tell me what's true, what's right. So Micaiah told him, plain language, you're going to die. You're going to go into battle and you're going to lose your life. That's what's going to happen. That's what God said is going to happen. And Ahab's response was, what? To sick the dog on the messenger boy. Take him back to prison, lock him up, feed him bread of affliction, water of affliction, until I come back in peace, in peace. He's now going to have to pay the price for sharing the word that God had given to him. But he says to the king, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Pay attention to what I'm saying. If the king comes back in peace, then God hasn't spoken by me. You see, the validity of the message is not in the response of the hearer, but in the veracity of the word. Let me repeat that again for you. I want you to get that this morning. The validity of the message or um, the value in the message is not found in those who hear it or not, but it's in the truth that the message brings. And we need to keep that in mind. So often I think we like to um, evaluate the message or validate the message through the response of the hearer. Not a good thing to do. Secondly, then, some consequences are attached to this. And I use the word here, consequences, in the plural instead of the singular because decisions that we make rarely ever affect just ourselves. That's true of children, it's true of young people, it's true of young married, it's true of adults, seniors. Decisions that we make rarely affect just ourselves. And it's rare that there's just a consequence with it. Often there are many consequences or multiple consequences that come with it. And so I use the word in its plural sense today. And the one outstanding consequence, of course, here is that Micaiah is thrown into prison. The king says, take him back, lock him up. Give him bread and water of affliction. So he is locked up. And today in our country, it's not likely at this point yet <laughs> that any of us are going to get locked up for speaking the word of God although I can't say how far away that might be. It may not be as far as we'd like to think. But uh, today, at least, we can still speak God's word without the fear of being locked up. We may upset some people, 
but uh, usually it does involve prison. But uh, there are a number, number of other consequences associated with this as well. First of all, he was publicly rebuffed by the king, and, and certainly that must not feel good. Uh, you know, to, to publicly be rebuffed by the king of the country uh, can't feel good. Can't feel good at all. But in doing so, the king publicly put himself on record as opposing the message from God. And now he can't hide from the consequences. He can't deny responsibility. Micaiah told him what God said. And the king basically said, I don't care. But now he's on record. And now he's responsible. And uh, he can't duck that responsibility anymore. Micaiah was rebuffed by his peers in the religious community, the other prophets. And it is very possible today to be rebuffed by others in the religious community. And I use that in a general sense today religious community. I do remember years ago, 25 years ago or so, I had an invitation to a meeting in Kennett Square. Uh, I was pastor of the Mennonite Church of Kennett Square at the time. There was a brother from the Presbyterian Church, and, and I would have said he was a good brother. Uh, wasn't quite Mennonite, but he wasn't too far away either. <laughs> but uh, he had a vision to start a, a ministry in our community to help the elderly poor, to keep their homes drier and warmer and safer. And so he invited the ministry from the community uh, to come together to hear what his vision was. And we met, and he kind of laid it out there, um, a ministry done in the name of Jesus, and gave us a week to go home and think about it and to come back again uh, a week later to discuss it. And I was shocked when I came back a week later to hear some of the pastors from some of the leading denominations in our community say, we can't be part of that. That's too exclusive. You know, you've shut out the Muslims, you've shut out the Jews, you've shut out the atheists. And I'm thinking, well, but it is a Christian organization. It's a Christian ministry. So anyway, they, they really wouldn't have anything to do with it. But fortunately, um, that ministry did come to fruition, and uh, it's still functioning in our community today, and uh, it has affected many, it has touched many lives. Uh, but again, people within the religious community themselves are rebuffing this brother because he wants to do it in the name of Christ. I also served for over 25 years on a Spanish health ministry, a ministry in our community that um, worked at providing prenatal health care to Hispanic women. And uh, it's amazing how much resistance we got from some of the other churches in the area. Now, we were decidedly evangelical in this uh, ministry as well. We had our own statement of faith and uh, um, people who worked for us had to sign on uh, as agreeing to this uh, doctrinal statement. But uh, just to say that we got probably almost as much resistance from some of the religious community as we did from uh, the secular world around us. So it is possible to be rebuffed by those in the religious community. He was physically assaulted as well by one of the opposing prophets. Um, hopefully none of us here have suffered that, but many in the world today do. Both kings needed to make decisions based on his prophecy. Ahab needed to decide if he was going to proceed. Jehoshaphat needed to decide if he was going to commit himself now that he'd heard the word from the Lord. Both of them had to now take possession of that and make their decisions. Will they go along? Will they not go along? Ahab's refusal to listen 
cost him his life and cost Israel a king. Jehoshaphat's refusal to listen uh, got him in trouble with the prophet in his own country when he got back home again. Second Chronicles 19, verse 2 says, But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him, that is, Jehoshaphat, and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, his wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Now that, that rebuke set Jehoshaphat on a course of restoring uh, his commitment to the Lord and his people's commitment to the Lord as well. In 2 Chronicles again, 19, verse 4, Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. So there were numerous consequences here because Micaiah was willing to speak the word for the Lord or the word of the Lord. And I would just say today that if we don't believe that, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> if we don't believe that God's word will lead to consequences, we're denying both his power and the power of his word. And we don't want to do that. Third thing I want to consider then is a lesson. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture we might have hope. So what is the lesson for us today? I, my hope, my desire is that, that we, that I, would determine to be like Micaiah. As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And I have to confess, I haven't always done that. There have been times I've shrunk back, you know, and, and it, it hasn't felt very comfortable. Uh, but it doesn't feel comfortable after you don't do it either. <laughs> then you deal with conscience. So, uh, but, but I have to confess, I've been there. But my hope, my desire is that, that we could determine to be more and more like Micaiah, to take whatever God says and to embrace it and to share it with those around us. In a recent article, Developing a Biblical Culture, Todd Neuenschwander, uh, who is moderator of, of BMA, wrote this, and he, he, quote, he was writing an article on developing a biblical, biblical culture, and he quotes George Barna, uh, who says, and I'm quoting George Barna now, our research, research shows that local churches have virtually no influence on culture. The seven dominant spheres of influence are movies, music, television, books, internet, law, and family. The second tier of influence is comprised of entities such as schools, peers, newspapers, radio, and business. The local church appears among entities that have little or no influence on society. End quote. Shocking, isn't it? to think that the church has so little influence on the society in the world that we live in today. Todd then goes on to say, and I'm quoting Todd now, 
Baptizing secular culture and calling it Christian is not at all the same as developing a biblical culture. We must do more than say, whatever the world can do, we can do better as a Christian, and then borrow their music, entertainment, values, practices, fashions, and fads. Rather, we must enter the kingdom by faith in the finished work of Christ, embrace the rule of reign rule and reign of God in our hearts and lives and walk as genuine spirit-filled disciples, end quote. I agree completely. I believe he's on target there. Part of that process will be for believers like you and I to rediscover our voices in a hostile environment. It feels like we've moved from being the quiet in the land to being the silent in the land. It um, feels like we've, we've pretty much lost our voice in the society in which we live. And if the church is going to become an influence in our world, we're going to have to discover our voice in this hostile environment. Now, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to blame my good brother Linford down here for this next quote. He mentioned something about John MacArthur's book and... Uh, I read his post on Facebook about cessationism and continuationism and got me thinking, whoa, wait a minute, this is, this is way up here somewhere, you know, I'm still down here. But I got to reading on that and I've begun reading uh, John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. And in it he says, and I, I'm quoting John now, if we claim allegiance to the reformers, we ought to conduct ourselves with the same level of courage and commitment they displayed as we earnestly contend for the faith, end quote. I'm not talking about radical revolution here. I'm not talking about civil protests in the streets, not burning flags or destroying property. But when's the last time that any of us here have, in a conversation with an unbeliever or maybe someone even professes to be a believer, have shared our convictions? and our objections to some of the sin that goes on in the world around us today. Could be abortion, homosexuality, war, injustice, alcoholism, materialism. When have we last shared our convictions or shared the word of God with someone regarding these issues in the society that we live in today? Is it because we don't know how to respond? I work with a young man. Well, he's a middle-aged man. Um, I do work part-time at a hardware store. But uh, he, he has been asked by his church to, to help with ministry, in the ministry there. And he's been taking some courses online, but he related to me one evening that he had had a conversation with his sister regarding homosexuality. And she told him they're born that way. They can't help it. He said, and I didn't know what to say. And I thought, brother, if you're going to preach the word, you better learn <laughs> what to say. But he said, then he went on to say, what would you say? I said, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, dear. I said, well, I would start by saying that God didn't create them that way. God didn't make them that way. God, I believe, created Adam and Eve as perfect beings. Uh, what we have then through choice is the choice to sin, and we now have a fallen nature that each of us inherit as we come into the world, a nature that shows itself increasingly sinful if left to its own ways and devices. And so I would, I would start there to try to explain that God did not 
create people that way, didn't make us that way, that's a product of the fall. I said, and to say that there's nothing you can do about it really uh, becomes a denial of regeneration, transformation through the renewing of our mind. You know, that's what Scripture's all about. It's all about taking sinful man out of his sinfulness through confession and repentance and to a new life through the transformation that comes through the renewing of the mind by the help of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, so I, I, would have, I would have gone there next, I think. So anyway, um, just a little bit about what we talked about. But, but maybe sometimes we kind of feel that way. We kind of feel like, ooh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. Or maybe we simply fear other people's reactions or responses. So as I thought about this message, I thought about, uh, tried to think about what are some ways or what do we need to do to reclaim our voice in a hostile society or a hostile environment. First, I think we need to know God's word. Micaiah couldn't go back to the king and give him a word from the Lord if he didn't know it. He himself, first of all, had to have that word, had to know what it was, understand it. Then he could take it back to the king. So we need to know the word of God. I think sometimes we hesitate to speak because we're afraid of being run into a corner, not knowing how to get out. Um, I was asked when I was in 1W service, I served 1W service in Kansas City and through 65 through 67, and was approached by two young men about being on a radio program in which they wanted to interview a conscientious objector. I said, yeah, I'll do that. And it never materialized, and later I thought, I dodged a bullet on that one because I'm sure I thought I was more ready than I was <laughs> to give an answer for the reason for the faith that lies in me. So that, the Lord probably had uh, a little more wisdom than I did in that regard, so that didn't happen. But anyway, I mean, I probably would have got run into a quarter somewhere, yeah, and it's possible. But that's not what we need to worry about. doesn't matter. Micaiah didn't need to exegete the word. He just had to deliver it. Here it is. This is what God said. I think Ahab can understand that without a great theological exposition on it. And, and I think that's what troubles us sometimes. You know, we think we have to be able to explain all the theological ramifications. I think it's okay to admit sometimes that we don't know all that. We don't understand it fully, but God said it and we believe it. Now, having said that, that doesn't excuse us from trying to learn what it says. We need to study. We need to study the Word. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And I think what's more important than theological brilliance is genuineness. People can see that it's a part of us. You tell me Ford's better than a Chevy or Chevy's better than Ford, I might argue with you. I mean, I, mean, I might be able to argue with you. Probably couldn't, but, but anyway. Point is that if we state something, people will argue with us. But if you come to me and say, you know, I really believe deep down, it's my feeling that this is better than that, 
I can't argue with that. I don't know what your feelings are. I can't argue with your feelings. But if you try to state it as a fact, I may argue. So, uh, you know, it becomes much more genuine when it comes out of me as a belief, as a, as a feeling, as opposed to just stating some facts out here. So be genuine. We also depend on the Spirit to help us. Uh, Luke 21, uh, verse 12 and following. But before all this, they will lay their hands upon you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. They will be your opportunity to bear witness. Sell it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I don't know how many of you have read a lot of stories in Martyr's Mirror. Love some of what goes on in Martyr's Mirror. This very thing happens in Martyr's Mirror. We see God giving people a word uh, to share with their captors. And uh, captors don't know what to do with it. It's genuine. They're, they're baffled by it. Matthew 10, 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense so to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that you, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Good advice. I've discovered, I think, that the man who is willing to receive God's word will hear it. The man who is not willing to receive it will not hear. No matter how polished we are, how brilliant we think we might be with a response, if someone is just determined they're not going to hear God's voice, then we probably can't do much to make them hear that. Another thing I think we need to do is speak the word with boldness. We need to know the word, but then we need to be willing to speak it with boldness. Micaiah boldly declared, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And when Peter and John found themselves facing hostility because of their teaching and preaching, the group prayed, and we find this in Acts, and I think this is such an interesting prayer. And here's the prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that they may be protected, that they be taken care of, that a hedge of protection be set around them. No, <laughs> not at all. That you would grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Wow. They're just come out of some trouble, just got away. And they're back here praying that God would give them the ability to speak his word with boldness. Whew, more trouble coming. Uh, but interesting prayer. You know, sometimes today I think our prayers are sort of selfish. <laughs> you know, look out for me, God, take care of me. Uh, don't often pray that God would give me the boldness to go out and speak this way. Acts 4.31 uh, says then, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They pray, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they speak with all boldness. 
do we ever pray and not wait on the filling of the Spirit, but run out and try to speak with boldness and fail? <laughs> not sure. But we want to be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit then makes it possible for us to go out and preach with all boldness. But let's not confuse boldness with arrogance. Boldness has to do with assurance and confidence. Arrogance has to do with a sense of superiority. And I'm afraid, at least in my experience, uh, there have been times when those of us from the more conservative element of the church have had a clear sense that we've taken the moral high road and we develop a sense of arrogance about it. We, we've not maintained the humility and the gentleness that we should have had in all of that. Let's hope we always take the moral high road. And let's understand, hopefully we can understand that we have taken that. But let's do that in gentleness and all meekness. Uh, not in arrogance, not with any sense of superiority. To do it with a sense of there but for the grace of God go I. Proverbs 25:11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So in sharing the gospel, the good news, we want to do it with love, grace, and humility. Avoid arguments. <clears throat> in arguments are generally more heat than light, and they just don't seem to accomplish a whole lot. Pick your battles is another thing I would say. Um, for years, I managed a masonry crew and had to learn how to work with, with some pretty unsavory characters where uh, profanity was the way you got things done. So if you didn't use profanity, you had to find some other ways to work. But, but in, in uh, speaking to men over the years about different things in their lives, I discovered that you don't do it in a crowd, generally. If you have three or four unbelievers over here, it's best not to tackle one of them in front of his friends because that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, generally speaking, they won't concede in the presence of their peers. So find a good time when you're alone with them, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and then uh, speak to them in gentleness and humility. And uh, that's why I say pick your battles. Recognize also that the well-being of others sometimes demands that we speak. I'm not going to take time this morning to read from Ezekiel. You can do that. Read Ezekiel 33 sometime. Uh, chapter has to do with the watchman, and they were instructed to appoint a watchman who was to watch for evil, and he was to warn the people if, if trouble was coming. And if he failed to do that, then he was guilty of the blood of those who suffered. But if the watchman watched and did report evil coming, and then the people who heard his warning didn't take heed, then the blood was on their hand. Their blood was on their own hands. And so, but the point I want to make is sometimes it's important that we speak. Sometimes we need to be the watchman. Sometimes we need to cry out that there's danger here. And having done that, then it becomes the responsibility of the hearer to take appropriate action to keep himself from being harmed. Um, so it, it is important that we recognize when we need to speak and, and then to speak. Do we care enough to sound the alarm in our day, to boldly declare the word of God in a hostile environment? A question I ask you, I ask myself too, uh, in light of the Ezekiel 33 
Do we have innocent blood on our hands? Thirdly, <laughs> gladly accept hostility. In Acts chapter 5, after the apostles had been beaten, they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering shame for the name of Christ. Oh, I don't know what's happened to me or us in that regard. But even the martyrs, uh, it seemed like so many of the martyrs just counted it a real privilege to suffer for Christ. Whatever it was, whether it was a state, whether it was prison, uh, loss of property, they were happy to be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. And several times in the New Testament we find people afraid to speak the name of Jesus for fear of Jews, uh, for fear of the Jews and for fear of being put out of the synagogue. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, 27, What I tell you in the dark, I say in the light. What I tell you in dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So it's not easy. None of us want to face hostility, persecution from others. But again, in Mark 8, 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. That's a very serious verse, very sobering verse. Am I ashamed of him in his word? If so, he will be ashamed of me. How might it change our culture today? If we believed with the apostle, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then take that gospel and declare it to sinful mankind. Well, my prayer, my desire for us today is that we, first of all, will experience God's word is true in our own life. And then as we have opportunity, we'll share it with those around us in a hostile environment. Let's pray. Father, we pause just now to thank you for your word. Thank you for stories such as the one about Micaiah that remind us again of the authority of your word, remind us of the power of your word, Remind us of the need of your word to be shared with others who do not always value it and will not always even receive it. Father, we just ask that you would forgive us for those times in which we have failed to share your word. We have not been like the prophet and have said, whatever you say, we will say. Forgive us, Father. And as we move forward from this place today, as the disciples prayed, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give to us that willingness to declare boldly what you have given to us and what you shared with us and show with us. Father, remind us again that there are many about us who need to hear the good news of the word, who need to be able to experience its redemptive power and to experience the new life that it provides for us through Jesus Christ. So just pray, Father, that you would give to us a fresh determination to be caught up in your word, to be ready and willing to share it at any opportunity that we have.
pray this in Jesus' name.